Hello, my name is David Lesner, and I'm one of the pastors at Creekwood United Methodist Church. We are located in Fairview, Texas, right east of Allen, just north of the Dallas area. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at one of our worship services, which we'd love to invite you to check out live at 8.30 a.m. for traditional or 11 a.m. for contemporary on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page or the recorded version on YouTube. We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC or our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God. Stand for our scripture reading and read it together this morning, if you'll stand. We'll read it on the screens together. This is from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So last week, Pastor David um, did some physical comedy to make a point. So, in his honor, this is the Bible. This is what he got to preach on last week. This is what I get to preach on today. I'm not saying the women in this church do more work than the men. But I'm not not saying that. I got the chance this weekend to go um, with my family to the Texas A&M football game yesterday, and we're in line, you know, about to be herd like cattle to our seats, 10 trillion feet in the air. And uh, they were asking, you know, like, oh, you're preaching tomorrow, what are you preaching on? I said, I'm preaching on the Old Testament. My mom said, the whole thing? I said, thank you so much for your confidence in my abilities, mom. But uh, we are wrapping up the Bible Basic Sermon Series today, and I hope that this series for you has been um, enlightening in some way. I know for some of us this is new information, and we've learned a lot, and for some of us this is a review of kind of what we already knew. But the way that I've been describing it to friends of mine is it's really an anatomy class on the Bible. We've been learning about the skeletal system of the Bible and the muscular system of the Bible by kind of taking it apart and remembering how it came together. And it's been a really, really fun couple of weeks. If you missed any of the sermons from this series, I highly encourage you to check it out on our website to go back and listen to them. You can also find Creekwood United Methodist Church anywhere that you get your podcasts, which have our sermons on them every week. We're going to be um, moving on from Bible Basics next week into our next series, which is titled Called. And we're going to be looking at the stories in Scripture using what we've learned in Bible Basics to see the different callings that God had on people from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And it's going to lead us into a season where we are going to be challenged to prayerfully ask the question, God, what is it that you might be calling me So to wrap up Bible Basics, we are ending where every great sermon series ends, right at the beginning of things. Um, Last week, David talked about the New Testament, and more specifically, um, what we called like the words in red. Did anybody in here ever have a red letter Bible? Yeah, so if you've never seen one of these, the red letter Bible is a regular Bible like everything else. But anything that Jesus said directly in quotes is in red. 
And it was kind of a way with um, having a, a different way of looking at scripture so that Jesus's words would stand out amongst the rest. So it's a little odd to end with the Old Testament, but as I said earlier, I love the Old Testament. I fell in love with the Old Testament in seminary. I had an excellent professor, and my love for the Old Testament just continues. When people ask me like to come preach, and they're like, oh, you can preach on any text you want, I almost always pick an Old Testament passage. Or in the last four or five years here at Creekwood, if there's been a sermon series that has been exclusively in the Old Testament, we did Advent in the Old Testament one year, we did our mental health sermon series in the Old Testament, that's because I wrote them. And I love the Old Testament. You need Jesus. Don't hear me wrong, but I love the Old Testament. The Old Testament gets a really bad rap in like Christian speak. Um, uh, one of our students on Wednesday night who's in the room said, oh, you're preaching on the Old Testament on Sunday, the part of the Bible where God was killing people? I said, no, no, not exactly. But I've heard other people say that, well, I don't really need the Old Testament because I'm not Jewish. That's their book. It's not really ours. I think that some avoid the Old Testament because we believe this lie that it's too difficult for me to understand. Or because it seemingly has nothing to do with Jesus, you'll hear these people that say, I want to keep the main thing the main thing, so I only read the words that Jesus says. But either fortunately or unfortunately for you, I disagree with all of these takes. So if you had to guess what percentage of the Bible is the Old Testament, what would you guess? Who said 75? You're so close. 75.55% of the Bible is the Old Testament. So technically over three quarters of the Bible, 5.5%, is the Old Testament. In their original languages, the Old Testament has 503,000 words, and the New Testament only has 180,000. The Old Testament itself covers about 4,000 years of events. And the collection of the 39 books of the Old Testament were sealed, were canonized, were put together before Jesus was even born. I think it's fair to say that the Old Testament was the Bible that Jesus would have had in his backpack with him. The Bible itself is a book that has withstood the test of time. Through many generations and interpretations and historical events, and just remember that the Old Testament has survived just a little bit longer than the Old Testament because it was established in 140 B.C. So to me, the Old Testament is not just something that we can throw out. The Old Testament actually has a lot to do with this passage from 2 Timothy. We've used the same scripture passage for this whole series to kind of remind us of the importance of scripture. And we're going to kind of walk through it a little bit more in depth today. But in that 2 Timothy passage, we read Paul is writing a letter to Timothy saying, all scripture is inspired by God and useful. Paul at the time would have been talking about the Old Testament. Now, as modern-day readers, as 2023 readers, I think we can interpret that to include the New Testament for us. I think we believe both the Old Testament and the New Testament to be useful for teaching and inspired by God. But in its original writing, Paul was talking about the Old 
Testament. So we're going to walk through the Second Timothy passage together and talk a little bit about the Old Testament. So 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching. The Old Testament is useful for teaching. I love the storytelling in the Old Testament. The ways in which there are all kinds of different life situations and stories are told um, in all kinds of ways. You know, when you took your English class and they would tell you all about the different genre of books that you had to read, they're all in the Old Testament. The very beginning, we get this creation story where God creates out of nothing. God springs everything to life just by saying, let there be light, and there was. The beginning of the Bible shows God as a creator. In the story of Exodus, we see that God is a liberator. God steps in and sees people who have been enslaved by other people and says, we're not going to do that anymore and we're going to get them out. And that's not how humans are going to treat one another. In Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, which I know you all love and have memorized and have totally know all of everything that's in there, um, we see God is holy. God is holy. God is God. But in Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy... As much as we don't like it, and we feel like it's boring, what I see in those books is God is creating a way for humans who make some human choices to still be able to be holy, to be like God, to look like God. One of the things I talk about when I get asked, we, we get asked really interesting questions as pastors, but um, I get asked about Genesis a lot, and it's like, well, you know, why did Eve do this? Why did they do that? And my usual answer is this. Parents, if you give your child one rule and you say, don't touch that, what's the first thing they do? That's Genesis 3. God said, don't touch this tree, and then they did. But what happens in Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy is God says, I know that you are going to make mistakes. I know that you are going to stray from me. I know that you're going to get distracted. I'm creating a way for you to come back. And it's going to be some work on your end, but I'm creating a way. That's not going to separate us. Sin never separated the people from God. From the very beginning, God established a way for the people to be in relationship with God. God is full of grace in the Old Testament. In the prophetic works, we find these, these really harsh judgments that can get picked apart. Um, but I will tell you, there is not a single prophetic judgment in the Bible that does not have a blessing also attached. There are consequences for human behavior and human actions. But God's blessings never depart from us even in our own sin and our own mistakes and our own misunderstandings, the prophetic works show us that God does not abandon us. Back in 2 Timothy, it says, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching and for reproof. If you had to define the word reproof for somebody who doesn't know what it means, what would you say is another word? Somebody. I'll stand here all day. We're redefining reproof. What are we saying? Come to Jesus meeting. Scold. Ooh. Okay. It's good. So this is one of those times that um, 
Reproof is a really interesting word because I think in our modern day way that we define the word, we believe reproof to mean I have permission to tell you what you're doing wrong and make you feel bad about yourself. And unfortunately, there are people who have done that with the Bible because they believe scripture is useful for reproof. But God did not give me this word so that I could look at Christy and tell her what's wrong with her or tell her that God judges her. God did not give us scripture for that kind of modern definition of reproof. The Greek word for reproof that is here in 2 Timothy is only in one other spot in the New Testament. And it's in the book of Hebrews, and it's the verse that says this. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Scripture is useful and inspired by God for evidence, not for judging others. There are stories in here of almost every kind of human mistake that is possible. For ways that humans treat God, for ways that humans treat one another. But from beginning to end, what is offered the whole time is grace. And scripture is evidence of God's grace and love for all people no matter what. The book of Job is a story that I think about when I think about scripture being useful for evidence. The book of Job is an example, if you've never read it, um, it's this story where um, there's this guy, Job, and he loses everything. And I'm talking everything. He loses his spouse, he loses his children, he loses all of his cows, which in that time was very important. He loses his house, and if that's not bad enough, his body broke out in painful, horrible, gross, oozing sores from top to bottom. You didn't think I'd say oozing from the pulpit, Caleb, did you? (laughs) And then, that's just the first three chapters of the book of Job. Chapter 4 to chapter 50 is what Job talks to God about. How God responds to Job in suffering. Scripture is useful, the Old Testament is useful for evidence of God's presence in all things. Even when we can't feel it. God was still with Job, even though bad things were happening to him. 2 Timothy says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, we'll say evidence, and for correction. So I know you're sitting there and you're thinking, all right, now, correction. This means I can take the Bible and I can tell people whatever they're doing wrong, right? Clearly, that's what correction is. Um, Unfortunately... This is one of those times where a modern word is not always the best piece that we have. Have you ever had somebody tell you a Bible story and you felt really bad about yourself afterwards? Have you ever seen communities claiming to be Christian using this book to hurt other people, to tell other people they don't matter, to tell them they're not loved? That's not the correction that scripture was meant for. The word correction here in 2 Timothy, if I went back to the original Greek word, I think there's a couple of better words. It's not a way of using shame to create a different behavior. That's not what God is after with scripture. Instead, what is a better word here uh, for correction is the word restore 
or realign. You ever talk to anybody who goes to a chiropractor? They will try to get you to go to the chiropractor. They will I have had more people evangelize to me about chiropractors than Jesus. Um, but people talk about when, they're, when they leave the chiropractor and they get their alignment set, they feel so much better. That's what this, that's the correction that's in here. It's not about inducing shame or hurting yourself or others. Instead, it is about restoring us and realigning us with God. From the very beginning, God is always restoring human persons no matter what they do. The Psalms come to mind when I think about this. Um, for every human emotion, I firmly believe there is a Psalm that goes with it. Psalms are not all happy and they're not all doom and gloom either. There are really some like chaotic neutral Psalms that are like right in the middle. Um, but they're a nice mix of human emotions and what somebody had to say about God in certain circumstances. For me, when I'm getting frazzled or um, I don't know what I want to read in the Bible or I'm really not feeling it, I usually find a psalm that I can find. And even the psalms that start out with doom and gloom, literally one of them starts out and Jesus quotes it on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Every psalm still has a turn. Every psalm still ends up with something like, but then I remembered your faithfulness and I came back. But then I remember what you've done for me in the past, and I thank you. But then I remember that you never leave me, and I worship you. Second Timothy says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for evidence, for correction, realignment, and for training in righteousness. The Old Testament is useful for training in righteousness. I'm going to read from the book of Matthew. Is Matthew Old Testament or New Testament? New. Anybody know what kind of book it is? Gospel. Bonus question. What does the word gospel mean? Good news. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, you shall, love the Lord with all your, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. This is the greatest and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. When we get caught up in questions of our faith and those smaller details as we journey deeper, sometimes this is a passage that people return to. When you meet people who want to keep the main thing the main thing, they usually quote this passage. And there was one time, it was not David Lesner, but I was listening to a preacher, and they said that God invented, or that Jesus invented, Love God, love your neighbor, and love yourself. And the Old Testament lover inside of me wanted to scream, No, it's not! No, he didn't! Jesus did not invent 
Love God, love your neighbor, and love yourself. All the way back in Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Keep these words that I'm commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand. Fix them as an emblem on your forehead and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The book of Deuteronomy is sometimes viewed as one of those skippable law books that no one wants to read. Especially if somebody wants to keep the main thing the main thing. But in fact, if you read Deuteronomy all the way through, that commandment is spoken over and over and over again. There will be a section about fish without gills and eating them, and you all come and ask me about shrimp, but what comes before and after it is love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your strength. There'll be a section about not touching a dead pig's skin, and everybody asks, are the Dallas Cowboys therefore unclean? But there are sections before it that say, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your strength. There'll be sections about mixed textiles in your clothing. But before and after it, comes love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your strength. As much as I love Jesus, he was not original in that moment. From the very beginning, this is what God asks of us. That's why we put it in our benediction. Because if you get anything out of coming to church, hopefully you feel welcome, hopefully you feel loved, but we want to remind you what is said in Deuteronomy over and over and over again, that you love God, love your neighbor, and you love yourself. That is the main thing. And it's in the letters in red, but it includes the Old Testament as well. When you're looking at um, things that are repeated in the Bible, one of the things to remember is they're not typing on Microsoft Word, but they're writing on parchment. And so if something is repeated, that means that somebody took the extra inches of parchment space to repeat something. That's usually a pretty good indicator that it's important. And so whoever wrote Deuteronomy when they were writing it over and over and over again, they said, yep, using another five inches to tell them, love God, love your neighbor, and love yourself. The beauty of the Bible that we have in 2023 is we get to combine the Old Testament and the New Testament and call it God's big story. Neither the Old Testament nor the New Testament makes sense without the other. The Old Testament establishes God's desire for relationship with humanity and humanity's tendencies and bent towards wrong choices, are bent towards the things that are going to pull us away from God. The Old Testament paints a picture for that struggle that we all feel on the inside when we have a choice between selfish ambition and spiritual discipline. It's a choice we have between myself and my community. 
the choice between something that's going to make me feel good for a short amount of time or the long-sustaining confidence that comes with knowing God's love deeply. The choice between the things not of God and the things of God. But the New Testament shows us that the same God, just like we sang from Genesis 1, who said, let there be light, became a person, was born where babies are not usually born. And what I tell my kids and my teenagers all the time is, yes, I'm pretty sure Jesus had to be potty trained and he went through puberty. Jesus lived the life you live. Jesus walked among us. This was the same God from the Old Testament. And our bent to sinning was fulfilled when God died on a cross and rose three days later so that we might know God's love for us. But even more than that, we would know that God has the power to overcome death. Death is supposed to be the end of all things, but for God, it was not. And what that unlocks for us, if God can overcome death, surely we can overcome our bent to sinning. Surely God's big enough to help me not choose selfish ambition. Bringing these two together paints us, in short, a snapshot of what Scripture does for us. I hope that you, um, maybe this series has possibly encouraged you to go home and pick up your personal Bible and spend some time reading. Um, every fall, we hand out Bibles to all of our kindergartners, all of our third graders, and all of our confirmation students. And so we handed out like over 50 Bibles in the month of August to our kids and our teenagers here at Creekwood. And I've had people request me um, for Bibles to get their older teenagers or friends that want to read the Bible. And one of the things that I've loved is seeing how excited our kids and teenagers have been to get their Bible. I don't know if you all saw a couple weeks ago in children's time, one of our kindergartners was crying because he's not in the third grade and couldn't get a third grade Bible. He had the kindergarten Bible he got the week before, but he wanted the third grade Bible. Our kids and our teenagers, part of my work as family pastor is I get to hang out with them, I get to learn from them, and I get to be with them as they learn. And our kids and students have been learning so much about the Bible. They will, if we had a Bible trivia competition, the children would win. Because they're so excited to learn. They're so excited to learn every story. They're not skipping stuff because they wanna know. And so I hope that you might be able to take some inspiration from our kids and our teenagers. Let's be reminded from their example that this book, all parts of it, is really a gift that is given to us. And it's our job to go and to read it. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time that we are together for the ways in which we get to experience your love and your grace. And God, we thank you for the Old Testament, for the stories that are in it that teach us, that realign us, that give us evidence of your love and grace. 
We ask that you would continue to shape us as we read it together and at home. May we continue to learn from the example of scripture to be more like you. It's in your name that we pray and we ask these things. Amen. Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.